Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Tierney ou le grand pont pour oh, Olivier Florent, qu'est-ce qu'il lui a fait là Qu'est-ce qu'il lui fait Kieran Tierney Oh Kieran Tierney, c'est quoi C'est quoi ça Il vient souhaiter une très bonne année aux supporters d'Arsenal Kieran Tierney, quel rush Magnifique This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to an extra Arscast Extra for you this Friday morning, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, yeah, I'm all right. I have no. That's fine. Yeah, that's, that's, we, 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 that's enough. I think it is. That's as much as I aspire to these days. Just being all right <laughs> could be worse. What about you? Yeah, I'm also all right, but for how long mm. remains to be seen. There is a bug in my house, not like a beetle, a virus. Right. And um, it has not yet claimed me, but there's like that sort of ominous sense that I may be on borrowed time. You're not really good at avoiding things nope. and danger and that kind of stuff, you know? So it would be a bit of a bit of a miracle if it were to pass you by. I'd say, for many, a disappointment. Uh, so, yeah, we're keeping our eyes and ears open for uh, signs. Okay. So, so far, so good. Okay. Well, if you're, if you're vomiting by the end of this podcast, we know it's got you. Is that where we're at with this? Yeah, I think so. I okay. think that's a fair assumption. All right. So we are uh, discussing Arsenal shit, uh, as always. And I was, you know, I was thinking, um, hope maybe there's a bit of news 
on Thursday at some point because, you know, we've sort of had to schedule this, not quite last minute, but, you know, just sort of scheduling it. And I was going, oh, do we need any more Gabrielle discussion? Do we need any more time-wasting discussion? I hope some stuff happens. And I woke up this morning, didn't pay much attention to anything last night, woke up this morning to find some stuff had happened overnight know, right? while I was asleep. It was great. So thank you, um, David Ornstein. He the never ver- sleeps. The reporters. And of course, you know, the various football clubs and agents and uh, other people involved in these things that have given us something to talk about this morning. I appreciate you all. Listen, I, I put a word in here and there where I could. I said, guys, we've got a podcast tomorrow. David, get digging. Uh, we need something to talk about. And they and lo, they have delivered. David the Digger Ornstein. <laughs> That's what we call him. <laughs> Digger. Yeah, In the office. Digger. Oh, he digs. What's Diggity. <laughs> he loves it. He lo- I'm sure he does. Well, look, where do we start? Where do you want to start? There's uh, like two big stories, I guess, in terms of uh, Arsenal actually, well, not selling both players, but moving a couple of players on who yeah, I think we've expected them to go this summer. So where do you want to start? You pick. Which part of the world? South of France or northern Spain? Let's go vaguely chronological and go northern Spain, because I think that was the first news that broke while you were asleep. Um, Tierney had been training away from the main group uh, and didn't train, I think, uh, with Arsenal yesterday. The reason being that they were in the final stages of negotiating his loan move to Sociedad, um, which now looks extremely close to happening. That is, I think, a really great move for Kieran Tierney. I have to say, I'm, I'm sitting here jealous this morning because if there's a place in the world where you would love to be a professional footballer or where I would love to be a professional footballer, you know, barring North London, of course, San Sebastian and Real Sociedad is pretty much top of the fucking list for me because yeah. it's a beautiful town. The food is amazing. The climate isn't quite full-on Spain. You know, obviously they get good weather there, but you know, there's a bit of rain there. It gets a bit dark and gloomy at times, particularly over the winter. But it's a you know beautiful beaches, as I said, beautiful food. Swish new stadium just on the outskirts of town. Champions League football. I mean, it's great. I mean, it really is. It is, by all accounts, and I know you've been there, yeah. a really beautiful place. And, and actually, this may be a leap too far, but the thought has just occurred to me. Is there kind of an argument for it sort of being like the Scotland of Spain? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but hear me out. Beautiful scenery. Um, one, you mentioned wonderful food. Who can, who can forget the, the, who, the musty tang of a haggis? Um, you know, their own language and culture. Yes. Yes, I suppose. <laughs> San Sebastian <laughs> I is I mean, indeed. I'm half joking, the but it, it, there Spain. is a kind of sort of, uh, there, there is something in that, potentially. Well, I mean, I think there are sort of links between northern Spain and the Celtic countries. Are there? You know? right. Yeah, particularly... Uh, maybe Mad people, spelling, for one. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Basque language is certainly... Very different from Spanish, for example. Right. When you go there and you see 
certain things, um, you know, signs and uh, even bits and pieces that you get like on a receipt in a bar and you're looking at it like, what the hell does that say? X's. I feel like they throw X's into stuff. And yeah. Like, Where does that come from? They've got, uh, yeah, it's very, very different, the language. But um, I've completely lost my train of thought. Where were we going with this? Oh, uh, San We're trying Sebastian. to argue if... Uh, San, San Sebastian is the Scotland of Spain. Scotland of Spain. Yeah. Oh, Celtic. Yeah. Links between that part of Spain and, and Celtic countries. I think um, Galicia as well uh, has links over the uh, the other side. But it is it is a great place, and I think it's a really interesting move for a player who, you know, I'm I'm surprised there hasn't been Premier League interest. And some people will say, well, you know, he's on a big wage and all that kind of stuff, but he's going to a club in a league where the wages are considerably smaller, lower, however you want to put it, than in the in the Premier League. And by I think in the reporting he is or his wages are going to be covered for the entire season. So, you know, it's a significant outlay for Real Sociedad. But from the player's perspective, how do you view the move, do you think maybe he would have preferred to stay in England? Um, there doesn't appear to have been much in the way of interest, which I, I, I do think is strange. Um, I know his stock has fallen a bit at Arsenal, but he played 36 games last season. Not a huge amount of minutes, but it's not as if he sort of was completely um, benched or left out of the squad all season. So people go, oh, fuck, there's something going on here. I think he probably would have preferred it. I think we spoke many times about how, how Newcastle seemed like an ideal destination for him. Newcastle, I, the Scotland of England. Yes. <laughs> I, and I I can't think it's coincidence that, um, you know, Sociedad's interest has been publicly reported for a number of weeks now, but it's only once Newcastle have taken Lewis Hall from Chelsea uh, on a loan with an obligation that suddenly we've seen things ramp up in terms of Tierney and Sociedad. I, I'm sure that would have been his preference. Hmm. Um, I, we had a few questions along these lines, and I, I sort of want to ask you the question, which is, right. why do you think we have failed to obtain a permanent buyer for Kieran Tierney? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I don't know if it's a question of... Um whether it's to do with the player, whether it's to do with other Premier League clubs, whether it's to do with the the market itself. Like, I'm really surprised because, you know, we, we've we talked about how maybe the team, uh, not maybe, how the team has evolved beyond a player like Kieran Tierney, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think it means Kieran Tierney is a bad player by any means. I think he is a very traditional fullback. I think there's still a role for a player like him in many teams in the Premier League. So I really don't, know why there wouldn't be more interest in him. I'm I'm very, very surprised. I mean, can I throw a question back at you? So in a scenario like this, right, where everybody, and by everybody, I mean sort of club, player, um, you know, the fans as well, all know a player is going to leave a club or is, you know, in the outs, if you like. Mm -hmm. To what extent does the finding a destination for the player depend on the player and his representatives or the club? Like, would Arsenal have, you know, phoned around and said, um, hey, we've got Kieran Tierney available if anybody's interested? Like, is there a Premier League technical director's WhatsApp group 
where uh, Edu is in there going, anyone fancy Tierney? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, how does how does that process work to the best of your understanding? Because, you know, you look at the... You look at the agency that Kieran Tierney is with, and they represent a lot of very high-profile players. Jack Grealish, Luke Shaw, Morgan Gibbs-White, Camavinga, James Ward-Prowse. You know, he's got good representation here. So why do you think this has been uh, an ongoing situation this summer to the point where it's, it's resolved itself by, I don't mean to say it's like a last resort move, but... It's certainly not one that I would have thought would happen earlier in the summer. No, and I don't think it's what he would have envisaged and I don't think it's what Arsenal would have envisaged. Your question about how a buyer is identified uh, is a really interesting one. And I think sort of most often in football, the onus is kind of on the player and not obviously not literally the player. He's not going around the Premier League cap in hand saying, get a job, Gavna. <laughs> Um, it'll be his agent who is tasked with finding a prospective buyer. Is there more the club can do? Well, the clubs do have dialogue about these kinds of things. I mean, you know, I don't know if you saw a story. There was a story recently that West Ham had listed seven positions where they were looking to sign players on uh, an online sort of uh, interactive forum that clubs use called Transfer Room. Um so that's actually something that a lot of clubs use. It's not unusual. Mm. Uh, so basically you sign up to it and you can kind of advertise that you're looking for certain types of players and then uh, agents and other clubs can submit players for your uh, perusal effectively. Uh, equally, there are kind of, there are, what's the word? Um, there are like days where uh, representatives of each club uh, meet at kind of like weird trade fairs and speed date essentially and sit down <laughs> and it'll be clubs from across Europe and they'll say, well, this summer we need a goalkeeper, we need um, a number two left back and we need a, a young, tall striker. And they exchange information, shake hands and move on. I don't know if Arsenal have had representation at those meetings this summer, but I'd like to think so given how many players they need to move on. Mm. Um I mean, could it be, sorry. Um, no, I was just going to say, in, in, actually, you asked me the question, go on. No, I mean, I was, I've forgotten what the question is now. So, oh, no, I remember. Now I remember. I mean, is it just a case that, that maybe it's bad timing that nobody's really looking for a left back this summer? Yeah, maybe. It, I, I think luck is part of it and you need to be, I mean, left back is one of the positions West Ham were looking for, for example, but uh, maybe Tierney was too rich for their blood. I think... When I think about Tierney and why more clubs haven't come in for him, I think you have to consider injuries and, and whether it's fair. I think he has that reputation in football as someone who's prone to injury. Um, I think you have to consider the transfer fee plus the salary, mm -hmm. which would be substantial on a permanent deal. Um, and I think maybe fashion, like if you look at Lewis Hall, who West Ham, who Newcastle have ultimately gone for, he's very much that ball playing, adept in possession, cultured left foot. Um, whereas Tierney is more that kind of up and down, get to the byline, swinging across, and fashion is a big thing in football. Look mm. at the fact that across the Premier League, 
you've now got a bunch of managers playing inverted fullbacks, even though some of them plainly don't know how to do it particularly well. <laughs> um, I think fashion's gone against us here. But the one thing that gives us some comfort is that he is under long-term contract. I mean, it was only 2021 when Kieran Tierney signed a new deal. I think the expiration is supposed to be 2026, three yeah. years from now. And that will have been a big factor in why Arsenal haven't budged. You know, they, they've not said, well, OK, let's let him go for 15, 20 million. They've had their valuation, the player, they've stuck to it. Mm. And they'll feel that after a loan in Spain, I mean, to be honest, I don't really see Sociedad as a particularly likely permanent uh, destination for him. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm flicking through their transfer history now and, uh, it would take someone big leaving them um, for them to be able to afford what Arsenal would want for Kieran Tierney in 12 months' time. But I, I guess they have to hope there'll be a market for him in the Premier League at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Like, you would want, ideally, to sell Kieran Tierney this summer, but because you have that long contract, it it gives you a bit of security and maybe a good loan. Um, you know, playing Champions League football as well might spark a bit more interest in him next season um, or next summer. I mean, it, I guess it depends what the fashion is. Well, Maybe it's, uh, it's sort of like going back to flares. You know, these things come <laughs> around. Sure, the Tesco bag will come back round, inevitably. Yeah. Um, the other thing to consider that Arsenal, I don't know if Arsenal will have thought about it this much, to be honest with you, but Scotland are currently four wins from four in their European qualifiers they are top of their group by eight points so they're in an exceptionally strong position uh to perhaps qualify for the european championships next summer mm. which would again be a showcase event potentially for someone like kieran tierney so maybe arsenal feel that in 12 months time there will be a greater market for him i think they have to hope so yeah. um because this is a player who, when he eventually leaves permanently, you know, we should be receiving a decent sum of money for. Well, fingers crossed, and I hope it goes well for him. You know, it's um, it's quite, it's just so interesting, isn't it, to think how quickly things have moved at Arsenal? Because when he came in, he was, you know, a cut above what we'd had for such a long time, and he really felt like somebody who was going to be a long-term fixture in this team. You know, you're going, okay, we've got left back sorted for the next, you know, six, seven years if we want. And here we are, you know, 18 months, two years down the line from him signing a new contract and he's surplus to requirements and the team has changed and the club has changed and, and everything else. Um, you know, it just, tells you how in football things you don't expect can happen in a really really interesting way and like i said i hope he goes really well there yeah me too me too and uh, i think no player illustrates the speed of change at arsenal more than kieran tierney in terms of how much his role has changed and yeah. you know how much it's diminished um but yeah i i wish him all the best i don't you know not many players leave a club as sort of, I think, well thought of as Kieran Tierney is at Arsenal. Um, I don't think we'll see him play for Arsenal again, uh, but I wish him all the best. And I think he seems like a, a top guy and a really good player. 
Yeah, he is. He is. So best of luck to him at Real Sociedad, assuming everything goes through there. So let's move from northern Spain to the south of France. Uh, which part of um, the UK do you want to compare the south I of France to? I guess Monaco, the principality. It's the Wales. It's the Wales <laughs> of France, famously. <laughs> so Follower and Balogun is going to Wales um, yeah. to sign for, for Monaco. There's something in it, Andrew. <laughs> this is a this is an interesting one as well because there's been a lot of talk about him this summer uh you know is he going to go then it was more a case of well where is he going to go because injury kept him out of the u.s tour and arsenal have got a hot property on their hands and that's not something we've been necessarily used to because of what he did last uh, season in france um, with with Rens, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, scored a lot of goals, stock rising all over the place. He's come back. This is another really, really interesting one because, you know, rightly or wrongly or however people want to think about it, we do we have a reputation, but we've certainly discussed the fact that we're not great sellers mm-hmm. in general. But here we have a player who a couple of years ago was potentially going to leave for free. Arsenal convinced him to sign a new contract, sent him on loan a couple of times. He went to Borough, of course, and then he he was last season in France, scored all the goals, and now potentially he's going to bring in, I don't know what the fee is, 45 million euros there or thereabouts. I don't know what the clauses are or add-ons. You might have a bit more information on that from from old Digsy there in the office. Um, But, I mean, it is an interesting piece of business there's a Hayland graduate and he's going to bring in a substantial amount of money when, you know, for a while it looked like that might not be the case. Yeah, I think the club knew they had an asset on their hands here and it feels to me like they, this was always the one where they were like, okay, we can actually make some money here. Um, and it's quite a gloomy phrase, we, the way you hear it banded around in football all the time, but uh, profit on an academy player is pure profit, mm. and it's pure profit in accounting terms, which really does make a difference to Arsenal's FFP situation, all the calculations they have to run. Um, in terms of the fee, I know only what Fabrice Hawkins reported in France, which is that, yeah, as you said, including add-ons, it, it could total €45 million. Euros. Um Arsenal had the number 50 in their mind uh, mm. and not just in their mind. They were kind of, you know, saying that to suitors or some along. Uh, Monaco have obviously got close enough. I, I'm pretty content with this deal. I'm also pretty content to see him join uh, a side in France. Yeah. You know, in the last week or so, there'd been a few whispers of interest from some rival Premier League clubs. I would not have enjoyed that, I don't think. I mean, w- would you... I know what you mean, and I, I wrote about this in the blog today. I'm sort of from a purely selfish fan point of view. Yeah. I'm glad to see him go somewhere else, and obviously to a league that he, he knows. And I do think at some point a return to England is is inevitable for him because he's still so young and he's going to be a high-profile player, of course, because of his role with the uh, U.S. men's national team. But, you know, some of the suitors, there was Chelsea mentioned. I would not like that. Uh, Tottenham, I don't think that was ever likely anyway, and obviously I wouldn't like that. But, you know, someone like Fulham, if Fulham had come up with the money, I probably could have lived with that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, 
I think he will be back in the Premier League. And something we've talked about on this deal before, and the details of this are not public and may not become public, but I really hope Arsenal have given themselves some kind of insurance against that. You know, we saw Konstantinos Mavropanos come back to the Premier League the other day with West Ham. And uh, I think there was a couple of million in that for Arsenal. Um, I hope that while Arsenal have made some concessions on price, they have included some clauses that give them a bit of protection if this player does come back to England. I mean, what what are you looking for there? Like uh, a sell-on clause or an option, first refusal? I mean, how many clauses can you put in? Listen, if we've got some sort of sell-on and a first refusal, that would be brilliant. I don't know that for a fact, and I know that getting clubs to agree to something like a first option is not easy. Mm. Um, but, But I hope Arsenal push for that in these conversations because... I think Balogun is a serious talent. I think he'll score plenty of goals for Monaco this year. Um, he's 22 now. Mm. So, you know, I, I think if he's going to come back to England, I, I don't see him waiting too long to do it. Um, and, you know, uh, these academy players, they can make it to the top. I mean, I was really heartened by the story of Tuba Akpom yeah. the other day, who now finds himself at Ajax uh, after spells in, in Greece and then in the championship with Middlesbrough. Um, I mean, and it wouldn't surprise me yeah. to see Balogun follow a, a similar trajectory in terms of getting to the top. Yeah, I mean, Akpom has been all over the place, you know, in ter- yeah. terms of loans and stuff. So what a great story for him. And it, it is a, a demonstration, isn't it, that if you keep working hard and you keep um, keep focused, you can get a move even when you're you know, maybe not expecting it. I think Balogun expanding his horizons last season, um, you know, has been really rewarding for him, I guess. You know, he, he, he took the chance to go to to France when maybe he could have stayed in England. I do think more young English players should go abroad. I've said this lots of times. I think it expands your horizons as a, as a player and a person and it's it's worked out for him. So let's say it does go through and let's say it's 45 million euros. How does that make you feel about what we've done so far this summer in terms of, of sales? It does tilt the balance a little bit, doesn't it? Because when you add, you know, Pablo Marie, um, Austin Trusty, Matt Turner, Granite Xhaka, Bit of a sell-on fee for uh, Mavropanos. Uh, I don't know how much exactly they're paid, so maybe it's a couple of million in uh, for Arsenal there thereabouts. I think uh, Matteo Genduzzi is about to sign for, is it Lazio? I think it mm, could be. Not sure, yeah, but yeah. I think we might be due, maybe do something on that one. We'll be due, you know, a few quid on that one. You know, it's beginning to look respectable enough in terms of money in. If not, like as much as we would have wanted, it is tilting more towards uh, a respectable figure. Yeah, and I think the club will be touting sort of internally, they will be talking about the sale of Balogun as a, a big success. I think they will see that as a vindication of the decision to send him out on loan, the development of the player. You know, for them to get the best part of 50 million euros for a player who's barely kicked a ball for us yeah. is a new thing for us and you know it's the kind of thing Chelsea uh, have done very effectively and Man City to a degree Um, and I think it'll be used as a bit of a case study moving forward as it gets harder and harder for academy players to actually break through 
this will be touted as one of the ways that we can benefit from the talent our academy produces. Um, would I like to have seen more permanent deals completed and more revenue? You know, when we sat down and did our predictions, mm. I think we both probably thought there might be a little bit more in it and maybe there will be in the time that's left. Um, but this one deal uh, does sort of put a, a nicer sheen on the figures. I, I think that's certainly true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there is, you know, just a week to go now. So there's still some players who who, who could depart. Um, I mean, there's another deal. Brooke Norton Cuffey has gone on loan to Millwall. Millwall, yeah. Good one for him. And I suppose there will be players at academy level who are going to go out. You know, we're... we're Obviously, looking at some of the first-team players, the likes of uh, Tavares, Rob Holding, um, Lakonga, uh, Cedric, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose there will be players at academy level who are going to go out as well, and some lone players. Um, I mean, there's maybe a couple who are just about on the fringes of the first team who who, who could do with a loan, whether or not we keep them, perhaps for some of the cup competitions or the, the early rounds of the EFL Cup. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but there could be some movement there too, right? Yeah, I would think so. There'd probably be a flurry of uh, young players heading out on loan. And, you know, it's very pronounced in the first team. There's a clear group who are available to go. Um, and, yeah, we'll have to see what happens. I mean, the window can accelerate in the final few days and can throw up some surprises as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it promises to be an interesting period. I think, is it next Friday yep. deadline? Next Friday, 11 o'clock, yeah. Yeah. So. so we shall see. I think I think all the emphasis from Arsenal is going to be on on moving a couple more out. Um, I don't – I'd still be a little bit surprised if we added another signing in this final week. Yeah, we did have a question about that, but uh, you basically just answered it. <laughs> I mean, it could happen. <laughs> I, I, w- I won't rule it out, but um, I don't get the sense there's anything – hugely imminent there i mean if we were to bring in somebody before the end of the window again guessing because um you know we don't know what's what's going on but would you which end of the pitch do you think it would be if there was one more what what would your gut tell you i i think it would be defense i think it would be a response to the timber injury if anything um Mm. I think Gabriel Jesus returning to, you know, working on the grass at London Colney um, is a big boost to the attack. And I think that there, yeah, the, the timber injury, I think, is the only thing that would maybe push us to go into the market uh, at this point. Yeah, because if you, I mean, we listed the defenders and talked about the defenders and then we'd say like, and that's not even taking into account Kieran Tierney and Rob Holding who are, who are still there, and of course Nuno Tavares and Cedric are defenders as well. But the the group might feel just one short if we let Holding go, if we let Tierney go, of course, and the others, I suppose, are surplus to requirements anyway. So I'm kind of with you in that if there is one more, it might be a, a defender. Who that is and, and what profile of player, I've got no clue at this point. But that would be, if I had to put some money on it, that's what I would say. Um, just before we go into a break, can we talk about the Mike Dean thing? Because- yeah, I don't know a ton about it. So can you, te- can you tell me about it? So he Is apparently right? has done a podcast with Simon Jordan. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he said, this is what he said. 
Um, I'm I've, looking at it now. I missed the stupid hair pull at Chelsea versus Tottenham, which was pathetic from my point of view. It's one of those where if I had my time again, what would I do? I'd send Anthony Taylor to the screen. I think I knew if I did send him to the screen, he's cautioned both managers. He's had a hell of a game. It's been such a tough game end to end. I said to Anthony afterwards, I just didn't want to send you to the screen after what has gone on in the game. I didn't want to send him up because he's a mate as well as a referee. And I didn't think, and I think I didn't want to send him up because I didn't want him to have any more grief than he's already had. I mean, it's really very bad, that, isn't it? Yes, I mean, Mike Dean has a personality that I would say is quite sort of ill-suited to refereeing because I think he he there is clearly a performative aspect to him, right? Mm. And I just think that's the last thing you want in a neutral official. Um, and actually, I think what he says there really misses something fundamental. So he says, I didn't want to send Anthony Taylor to the screen because he's a mate and I didn't want to show him up like that. But I, I think football fans get a lot of stick. But I think something that they deserve credit for and that Mike Dean has missed here is that I have very, very rarely, if ever, heard a referee criticised because they had to go and look at a screen. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever heard that. True. I don't I don't think anyone's ever said, oh, how could you possibly miss that in real time? And And when those referees look at the screens... I don't see fans giving them stick. I see them sort of just letting them watch the incident and make a decision. Yeah, that's the process that you're supposed to go through, you know, given the implementation of the technology, right? We we know referees miss things. That's part of why VAR was, was introduced. But yeah. the idea that, like, I, I completely agree with you. He would not have got any more stick. In fact, you know, the fact that uh, from the resulting corner, there was a goal which equalized the game, you know, is is ridiculous, you know. And he says, I yeah. missed the stupid hair pull. He didn't miss it. He chose not to inform the referee of a very obvious foul in the box. And, like, what would have happened if Anthony Taylor had, um, you know, gone to the screen? He would have said, oh, I didn't see that. Thanks for letting me know. Here's my decision, you know, red card, whatever it might be, or free kick or, you know. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. It and, you know, the, the thing that it does is it, I think a fan of every club can think about an incident in a game that either went to VAR or was missed by VAR or VAR decided that they would, you know, check complete, no penalty there, whatever it might be. I think every fan can think of something that happened to their club that will now be open to question. Because why was that decision made? It, it compromises the integrity of the decision-making process. Like, we can all have our gripes about referees and all the rest of it. But something like this fundamentally damages the credibility of the group of referees and the organization that is in charge of referees. Yeah, I think speaking about it publicly is actually the greatest crime here. I, I know that what he's done is obviously bad and he should have sent him over to look at the screen but I also think that it's inevitable there will be kind of internal politics between VAR and referee 
you know, I, I made the point the other day about why was Tommy Asu sent off, partly because the referee was annoyed and because, unfortunately, you know, the way sport functions is that you've got a human being in there and there's, there's a certain extent to which you're always going to come up against that. But to go on a, a podcast, well, A, to go on a podcast with Simon Jordan full stop, <laughs> B, to go on a podcast with Simon Jordan and then say something which really damages the credibility of the refereeing institution to which you belong is sort of unbelievably stupid and calls into question everything. Yeah. And, you know, clubs are well within their rights to say, this is completely unacceptable. We demand full transparency yeah. to, to VAR decision-making. And it is, they've made a problem here for their own back. And it may be for the ultimate benefit of the game because maybe there will get be more transparency. Um, I just think that I also find it so telling that among the referees, sending someone over to the screen is seen as like an affront. Because as I say, I don't think anyone externally sees that as a dig at the referee. I sees that as a knock on them. I think they just see it as due process. Um, I mean, do you think it says something about the way they view VAR and view the technology, yeah. or at least the way Mike Dean does? Isn't there that amazing picture of him? Was it one of the games during lockdown? where VAR actually gave us a penalty, if I remember. I can't remember who the game was against. But there's this picture of Mike Dean having, not his decision overrule, because it's, it, I think he missed something, right? And VAR gave us a penalty. He's got a beard in it, if you remember. And he's sort of there, mm. and he's looking really kind of mm, glum. I've been, I've been diddled over here by the technology. I don't like that. I'm the guy in charge. And, you know, what I say on the pitch goes, which I kind of understand to an extent, um, but it might just say something about the way Mike Dean views this technology. Yeah, and also this may be a problem that gets better with time because we're talking about a referee who belongs to a generation where they officiated without video technology and for whom it probably does feel alien and, like, you know, their authority is being wrested from them. Um Whereas, you know, as referees come through and break through at the top level, they will be used to this. So it mm. won't be as problematic for them. I do think as well that I think it would be healthy, just on the subject of VAR, if we were in a place where a referee could look at an incident on a screen and disagree with the VAR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just be like, no, I stand by my original decision. I think that would do great things for the sort of autonomy and authority of the referees on the field. But it just feels like that's not really an option. Yeah. Right yeah. You don't see that very often at all, do you? Um, I've just put the, uh, the link to the picture in the chat here. Just to remind oh, yourself of it. Do I want to click this? Yeah, do oh, click it. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Sad Mike Dean. Because he's been, oh, yeah, he's been overruled. I, I can't remember what Arsenal game it was, but it was definitely one of ours. So uh, there you go. Well, look, I'm sure this is a story that's going to that's gonna rumble on all weekend. So uh, we'll keep our eyes on that. Okay, we'll take a little break here uh, and we'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Uh, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Actually, do you know what I've forgotten? We've got a competition. I was going to do this. Oh, um, really? Yeah. You know the Saka t-shirts? Oh, man. I love that t-shirt. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, we have got, let me just see here, uh, two of the black and gold Bakayo Saka T-shirts available from our friends at a store like 94, which is a store like 94.co.uk. And if you fancy one of these T-shirts, you'll find a link in the show notes, by the way. So you can have a look to see if you do want one. But you definitely want one because I've got one and you've got one. And uh, yeah, everyone says when we wear our T-shirts, we look very cool. So yeah, 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 that's super. Ian Wright's got one. I mean, what more do you need than that? Well, Uh, exactly. So if you would like one of these T-shirts from a store like 94.co.uk, just answer the following Bakayo Saka question. He equaled Paul Merson's record of how many consecutive starts in the, is it in the Premier League or is it in all competitions? I can't remember. Anyway, whatever it is, that stat is doing the rounds. Tell me how many consecutive starts Bakayo Saka has had for Arsenal. It's very easy to find out. Just email your answer, please, to competition at arsblog.com. That's competition at arsblog.com. And we will um, give you the winners on Monday, I think. So you've got 
the whole weekend to get your entries in. Competition at arsblog.com. There's also a discount code on the website. Discount code is arsblog. It gives you 10% off. So if you don't win a t-shirt, you can get one and look as cool as James, Andy, and Wright uh, with 10% off. So what more could you ask for? Great stuff for the weekend. Consecutive Premier League games. Yeah. Apparently. Okay. So that people can find that pretty easy. So get your entries in uh, and maybe you have a chance to win one of these T-shirts. Right. I'm going to ask you a, a question first. We had a couple on this one from Axel Jungberg, who's at Axel Jungberg on Twitter. He says, uh, good morning. There are a lot of reports of unwanted players training separately from the group. Is this a thing Arteta has done before? Do you like it or is it too ruthless? And... Uh, Mike, who's at MJC199999. I think that's enough nines. What are your thoughts on players training away from the group? Is it to protect tactics or an indication of discontent? I don't think it's to protect tactics. Um, that's an interesting theory, but I don't think that's right. I think it's just probably conversations have been had between those players and the club. Well, I certainly hope so, <laughs> um, which mm. sort of intimate or, you know, suggest that the likely outcome is them leaving or, or they'd like to leave if, if the opportunity arises. Um, and probably they're protected a little bit from injury in those training sessions, probably not full contact, probably not as intense as maybe uh, the kind of first team sessions might be. So nothing that would prohibit a move. Mm. Um and I think it's probably just a, a psychological thing, a headspace thing. You know, we know Arteta, with Arteta, you've got to be 100% in. If you're not 100% in, you're out. I'm mm. not sure that it's kind of like uh, unfriendly or like, you know, they're they're not uh, on good terms with the club anymore. I think it's just there's a clear delineation between players who are going to be here next season and players who probably aren't. Um I, I, yeah, I, I'm not. I don't see it. I, I think when you see these headlines like training alone or tr made to train away from the group, there's <laughs> a sort of tendency to think of it as this like they've been banished and no one in the dressing room must talk to Cedric anymore or whatever it might be. <laughs> but I doubt very much it's like that. I'm sure they still chat to their friends. I mean, Rob Holding was in that separate group, I think, this week. And, you know, he's still really good mates with people like Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale. I don't think they're like not talking to him, you know? Um, I think it's just kind of a, a particular circumstance that's going to happen for a quite short space in time. And yeah. Not a huge problem. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I, I think you're probably absolutely right in everything that you've said there. Uh, I hadn't considered the, you know, the protection from injury aspect of things, um, which would make some sense. And I, you know, like you, I don't think it's a reflection on their character or anything like that. But the focus that Arteta demands from the players that he's working with is is huge. And maybe when you are on the fringes like that, it is potentially difficult not to motivate yourself, but, you know, to get up to the level that he might uh, demand from you, um, which again is not to sort of insinuate any lack of professionalism or, or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's quite big on sort of, you know, I think we've heard him say, are you on the boat? You know, and he, he wants everyone pulling in the same direction. It wouldn't surprise me if Arteta, uh, this is, you know, this is pure speculation on my part, but it wouldn't surprise me if he is quite sort of, 
detached from people who are headed out the door. It wouldn't surprise me if he does sort of like, you know, stop engaging regularly with those players and being all matey with them just because of the type of guy he is. He is so steely and so focused and so intense in his preparation for the next game that I just think that's absolutely where his focus will be at mm. this point in time. Um, and yeah, maybe those players, I don't know, maybe they would like to train with the main group. But ultimately, I think what most of them want more than anything is to go to a club where... They're going to play, yeah. They're going to play, mm. yeah. And I hope for their sake it happens. I think I think where it gets awkward is when you get to the end of that deadline and if you haven't found mm. a solution for those players at that point in time. Um, and I guess, you know, should should things permit, you'd want to see them reintegrated at that point because I think it's all right to kind of you know, have someone on the outside when they're in limbo in the summer transfer window. But when they know they're there till January, mm. I think that's when it can be quite damaging potentially to f- for, for players yeah. to feel excluded at that point. In time. And I think, you know, something to bear in mind is that players understand the industry better than anyone else, you mm-hmm. know? So they know what this is about, that it's not a punishment. It is just part of the process as you get towards the end of a transfer window. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly the right way to frame it. I don't see this as a punishment. Um, I don't think it is one. And I doubt very much mm. the players see it like that either. All right. Um, okay. What's the reason we couldn't find it? <laughs> Jono, who's at Jump Punch Kick, says, Morning, gents. Considering Tierney wears short sleeves... Short sleeves, short sleeves shirts in a blizzard. Is there enough sunscreen in San Sebastian to protect him from third degree burns? Uh, yeah, I hope so. imagine just sort of wandering around San Sebastian in a kind of loincloth like Tarzan, you know, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, uh, we, we shall see. He'll be the first player to play in La Liga naked, uh, I imagine. <laughs> um, or in a, a complete bodysuit to protect him from the sun, of course. Yeah, that's bonnet. true. Why is Might Kieran, go the other way. Why is Kieran Tierney playing in a bonnet? Yeah, <laughs> he'll suddenly be one of those guys who wears like leggings and long sleeves and a balaclava. <laughs> yeah. um, what was that? But here's a proper question. Okay, here's sorry. Uh, as much as I enjoyed that, Jono. Chris Page says, the Ivan Tony links aren't going away. I don't know if you saw the Times uh, ran a piece saying they thought there might be buyers circling for Tony in January and they did name Arsenal as, uh, among those clubs. Mm. Um, how do you guys feel about potentially signing him? Do you think he works in the culture Mikel has created? Whatever his reasons, it doesn't feel like Mikel's style to welcome in a player under the cloud of a scandal. I mean, I would be really surprised. I think he's a very good player, Ivan Tony. I really do. But I would be surprised if we went for him. Um, because of the, the betting scandal? I mean, in in part. I've watched a bit of the interview. Did you watch any of the interview he did? Yeah, bits and pieces. Yeah. Watch bits and pieces. And, I, you know, I didn't find some of what he said about betting and the betting... Um, charges that he, he's been suspended for I didn't find him terribly convincing on that mm. Mm. and he, his it, argument was that he was betting on himself right essentially he was saying I, I back myself to score what's wrong with it yeah but then um, there was one bit where he just said 
I can't remember. I can't really remember about, I can't right. remember what it was. It just didn't, didn't sit, it didn't feel a hundred percent honest. That's all I can say. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think he is a, a really, really good player. I'm just not sure that we would spend the money on him. What was it, like 80 million? Was that what the article was? It's been mooted, yeah. And we know Brentford, I mean, we got a bargain out of Brentford potentially this summer with a loan deal for David Rye, but they don't, you know, they don't yeah. do any favours. I can't see, can't see us paying that much money for a 28 year old. Just can't see us do that again. Yeah, twenty. He'll be twenty eight in March. Yeah. yeah. Until then, of course, he's he's just twenty seven. <laughs> but I would be really surprised. I mean, we had another question along those lines from where is it? Here, I had it there a second ago. Um, fucking hell. Paul Martin at. PMAR15 underscore AFC. He says, Goodly morning. My question is, would you go for Ivan Tony in January or wait to go for Evan Ferguson next summer? Well, I agree. One of those things feels more fitting with Arsenal's recruitment mm. policy than the other. Yeah. I think Tony's a really, really good centre forward. I mean, I watched him at the Emirates last season. Uh, yeah, I was at that game. He, you know, he, he was like uh, he gave Saliba problems that he didn't really get from any other striker in the Premier League last season. Yeah, I think physically he's one of the few who can sort of who could potentially be placed in that category where Haaland is. I think Haaland might be out on his own, but I think uh, I think Tony does bring something you know pretty awesome in physical terms. He, Drogba-esque is, is the right way to describe it. Um, and uh, his age is a bit of an issue. I, I, I mean, I mentioned Drogba deliberately because Drogba was 26 when he signed for Chelsea and was a real late flourisher at the very highest level, you know, and, and sort of went into his 30s as a, a, a really dangerous striker. Um and I think that Tony could be similar in the right environment. I, I sort of agree with our first question. He says it doesn't feel very Mikel. It doesn't feel mm. very Arsenal. But I, I would love it. I, I'll say that. I think in the short term and maybe in the sort of midterm as well, he would be a real boost and something completely different yeah, yeah. in terms of how we play. Um but Evan Ferguson is also a star, right? Like he is going to, I mean, you look at what Brighton have made on Caicedo and others for a centre forward Oof. with his kind of ability. I mean, he's going to be a hundred million pound player, right? Well, I, I think. Yeah. I mean, if he, if he has like a 15 goal season there, thereabouts, you know, yeah. at his age, he's still only 18, isn't he? Or has yeah. he just gone... No, he's 18. It'll be 19 next month, uh, October. Ah, uh, okay. Until then, he remains 18, of course. Yeah. Because Six foot two. That's how it works. I mean, he's just so, so mature for his age. Yeah. There's so much there. Um, I mean, if he has a, a good goal-scoring season and the premium that's on centre-forwards as it is, I know. Brighton are just – I mean – 
At what point is the guy who owns Brighton just going to say, I've got all the money in the world now. I'm going to just... <laughs> It's going to retire and and give it all up. I mean, they they're going to sell extremely well with this guy. There's going to be a a very very small market for this player if he has a another good season. There'll be a small market, but it'll be a very very uh, high end market, right? Yeah, because it's going to be three or four Premier League clubs probably who would be an attractive enough destination and who could afford him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they'll, there will inevitably be an auction at some point for this player. Maybe Brighton will help, try and hold on to him a little longer because um, he is so young. But yeah, that's certainly one to watch. And, and Arsenal, you know, you don't have to be a genius to know that Arsenal will be following this player because I, let me tell you, all the big clubs will be following this For player. sure. For sure. Um, how many goals did he get last season? Let me just have a quick look here. Um, oof. Oh, okay. Sorry, they included some Premier League two goals in there. But in yeah. senior competition, he ended up with 11. Yeah. Which is, you know, is impressive for a, a player in his first full season and at 18 years of age. Six in the Premier League, three in the FA Cup, Oh, there's one in the EFL Trophy and one in the EFL Cup. Uh, so maybe uh, is that 10 senior goals? Yeah. Uh, He's already off the mark this season. I mean, I think I'm right in saying for now, Danny Welbeck, uh, I think he's keeping him on the bench. Um, but he'll get plenty of opportunities to oh, play. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, I, I, I like both those players a lot. And if you ask me to pick which one feels more... Uh, fitting with the hashtag project, you'd probably say Evan Ferguson at yeah. this point in time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, what have we got? Um, ba -ba -ba. Okay. Uh, we've had a couple of questions along these lines in the last few weeks. So Birdtail Bill says, Trossard has been one of our best performers since we joined the club, both from a goals and assist standpoint, and is outstanding technically. Uh, I'm venturing from a per minutes played. He may be our best statistical player since he joined. He has only played 15 minutes over the first two games. Doesn't Arteta need to try harder to get this guy on the field if we're going to see the best out of Arsenal this year? I mean, I think, yeah, sure. But also, we're only two games into the season. He did come on in the Community Shield, as you will remember, and scored... You know, a sensational goal off the arse of uh, whichever Manchester City defender it was. Yeah. The first game, um, he came on. And I think we said on Monday that we uh, expected him to have come on if it had stayed uh, 11 v 11. Instead, of course, we went down to 10 men. It was a bit more of a rear guard action. And, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think the, the move was there to, to put him on. And I think Arteta substitutes the ones he did made, uh, did make turned out to be very good. So I think circumstances have conspired against him a little bit. Um, but it I, is only two games though, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I don't, it's very difficult to see patterns with such a small sample size for sure. You know, so I don't worry. I think he'll, I think he'll definitely play on, 
Saturday against Fulham. I'm not, you know, don't know if that'll be from the start or not. Um, but I don't worry, you know, at this point about about any of that. Um, I mean, that- I think once the cup, cup competitions start, we'll see a lot more rotation and, and players like Trossard getting yeah. opportunities. I mean, we had a slightly uh, question along the same lines um, or similar lines from Photonic Cannon on the Discord. And he said, is it time for us to be confident in using the squad in the Premier League, even when injuries have not forced our hand? For example, this weekend, would it be reasonable to, to give Kivior a game at left back or to plan to substitute Saka uh, for Vieira or Nelson on the hour mark? These are players we believe are good enough to contribute to a successful league season. But will the players themselves believe that if they're never used in situations where we need them to contribute? So, you know, could you make the argument that, you know, we, we all love Gabriel Martinelli, but is this game at home against uh, Fulham, is this maybe a good time to, let's say, start Trossard? I wouldn't be disappointed if he did start. Um, I just think, at the risk of repeating myself, that at this point in time where we've got almost a full week between our games, I don't see Artesta necessarily feeling the need to rotate in that way. I, I don't think it's about need, though, isn't it? Is it? You know, it's about... It's maybe about demonstrating management. the yeah, yeah about man management about showing these players okay I want a deeper squad I've got a deeper squad now is uh, a chance to to use that and I suppose where you have maybe a bit of a safety net is if you start Trossard ahead of Martinelli it's you have Martinelli on the bench if you yeah. need him, if you start, uh, you know, I'm not saying this should happen or would happen, but let's say you start Smith Rowe or Vieira ahead of Martin Odegaard, you've got Martin Odegaard on the bench. So you're maybe taking a little bit of a chance with your lineup, but you've got the security of knowing that you've got these guys of high quality on the bench as and when you need them. Maybe. I mean, I think that sort of makes more sense than pre-planning subs because you know, let's say you plan to bring Reese Nelson on for Saka on the hour. The chances of that plan being thrown out because of the course of the game are yeah. substantial. You know, if it's nil-nil with an hour played or you're one-nil down, you're leaving Bukayo Saka on the pitch. Um, so I don't think pre-planned subs happen very often. I think when they do, they're almost always fitness-related or injury-related. Um, yeah, you're right. He could mix it up. I have to be honest and say, I don't think he will. I don't think he will. I just don't think, I don't think it's his nature, Mm. but he could, this would be a good opportunity to play somebody like a Trossard or, you know, potentially a a Kivior or a Jorginho, you know, someone who's maybe not an automatic starter, Mm. but you feel could come in without the, the group dropping off substantially. Um, we had a, a a question actually about Kivior specifically from Critical T, who said between the talk of defensive cover being brought in following Timber's injury and Gabriel not even starting, where does Kivior stand in the squad? With everyone fit, it seems like he's not even second choice in either of his positions. He's behind Zinni, Timber, and Tommy for left back, and White and Gabriel for left centre back. 
it's more Gabriel and Saliba, isn't it? Mm. Across the left centre back. Should we loan him out so he isn't stagnating on the bench? It's hard to see him getting many minutes beyond the Champions League group stages. No, definitely not. We shouldn't loan him, I don't Mm -hmm. think, because we've already talked about the defensive uh, group being maybe one short because of the injury for Timber. So, um, you know, I think he'll get minutes. I think he'll get minutes in, in some of the cup games. Um, I had a Polish, a couple of Polish journalists actually ask me if I thought there was any chance he might go out on loan. Because obviously in Poland, he's, yeah. a, he's an international player and they're looking at it and thinking, is this guy going to play? Um, I mean, look, it, he's a squad player. It doesn't look player. great for him, I have to be honest. I don't think there's going to be a ton of opportunities for him. No, but, I, you know, I, I don't think the party at right back thing is going to be long term. No. In which case, the pecking order slightly changes where I think if you do want a left-footed centre-half in your team, you know, it's either Gabriel or Kivior in that sense. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, again, he was signed with, I guess, a specific purpose in mind, and that's, you know, to give you cover and give you depth at left centre-back, but also because, you know, they want competition for places. And I think it's, you know, up to the player when he gets his chances to to try and take those. But, you know, I'm not... Uh, freaked out or worried about that uh, player at this point. You know, if in six months' time or if we're in January and he's barely played, then you could maybe make a case for for a loan move to, to get him minutes. But uh, I don't think there's any way we, we're going to loan him out now. And again, two no. games. We have to wait and see how this season pans out, you know. No, and also, you know, he's in a process of adaptation and I think it would be wrong to interrupt that at this time. I think if we get to January and he's not getting a kick, then maybe it would be a consideration, but I don't think anything could happen with that this summer. I mean, we had a question about, um, speaking of Kivior, there was a a little question here from jmart91. What did you think of Rob Holding's interview with the YouTube guy? Um, (laughs) <laughs> All these YouTube guys, I, I like. I'm so old. I don't know who any of them are. I apologise, um, but I I only saw clips of it. I didn't watch the full thing. Right, the guy, the YouTube guy in question. There's a lot of YouTube guys out there. You know, some better than others. It's fair mm. to say. Uh, this particular YouTube guy is called Michael Timms. And, yes, Timsy. Yeah. And I, uh, I have heard of him actually. Yes, and I, I well, I didn't watch it. I watched some of the clips, but I did listen to the whole thing on a, on a podcast. Um, and he said, he uh, Jmart says Rob Holding speaks so well. His story about Kivior was nice to hear, where he sort of insisted that uh, Jakob Kivior get a picture with the Community Shield because he was a bit reluctant to do it because he's a bit shy. His English is not that good. And he brought him over, you know, got a picture with the the Shield in front of the fans, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, I thought that was really lovely, actually. Um, because Kivior, you know, he's, he's not he's not really made his presence felt yet at Arsenal. And I got the sense from, from Rob Holding's telling of the story that he was almost a bit embarrassed to be like, I don't want to have my turn with the trophy. You know, I didn't play and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and Holding was kind of saying, look, when you retire, these are the moments you'll look back on and you've got to try and enjoy it while it happens. Um, of course, the internet being the internet, um, a load of people on Twitter sort of saw that as reason to sort of bash Rob Holding. For what? Um, I didn't I didn't see any of that, but that oh, is... Oh, just for like, you know, being happy to be there 
for being a sort of a passenger kind of thing. Uh, you know, if you watch the whole interview or listen to the whole interview, you know, he, he actually references that where he says, you know, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to be that guy. I'm happy to, you know, be, uh, gave an example of like, you know, a young player coming up to train with the first team and maybe it, it, it hits the ego of, a, of a more senior player who goes in hard on the young player, you know, that classic story mm-hmm. and holdings like, well, you know, what, if, what the fuck are you doing? Like, don't kick him. If you want to kick someone, kick me. You know, he talks about being happy to play that role and be sort of, uh, what's the, what was the re- the phrase? I think it was, uh, the glue, if you like, within the dressing room, because uh, Ramsdale, Aaron Ramsdale was asked to uh, give a one-word a answer yeah. yeah, for every player. And he, he said Rob Holding was glue. But at the same time, he said he's not there just to fucking be that. That's not what he's happy with. So I think that's a really unfair characterization of, of Rob Holding. Um, clearly, he's um, you know a guy who wants to play. He says something along the lines of, yeah, you know, uh, for as long as I'm here or before I leave, you know, something like that. Um, there's a little sort of aside which hints that, you know, he, he's going to go. So that's a really unfair characterization. But then I suppose the worst excesses of the internet and nuance don't really go hand in hand, do they? <laughs> no, in proper context, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, and of yeah. course, there's a load of people out there who are just fucking looking for any old thing to jump on anyone because they're perennially angry at everything at all times. And that's the only way they can express themselves. Well, there is that. I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I know for a fact that he, he wants to go and play and, and he's open to, you know, lots of possibilities. It wouldn't surprise me if he went abroad um, I think he he wants to experience something different. He's happy to move to a different environment. It's just about a club coming up with, you know, the right kind of offer and the right kind of figures to to make everyone in the situation happy. I actually, I really hope he gets his move because yeah. I think he's been a good servant to the club and he's at an age now where he needs to go and play and be a first team player and and you know have the role in the dressing room that befits his, his age. I agree. His I mean, if people are, you know, when it comes to Kieran Tierney, very understanding of how the team has evolved, that facilitates or, or requires him to go and play somewhere else. I don't really understand why that is not uh, afforded to Rob Holding as well. Because it's, it's a very similar a of, situation. I, you know. Yeah. And I guess it's because a lot of what Holding... A lot of the, the, you know, a lot of this sort of Rob Holding stuff that we're talking about in terms of his place within the group and being the glue, that's all behind closed doors, yeah. you know? So it's not in the public domain. It's not in the public eye. So people don't really care about it. And I guess the feeling is, well, does it contribute to results? Does it not? I think if you, I think if and when Mikel Arteta goes, if he's asked about Rob Holding... I think he'll be very emphatic and very effusive in his praise sure. of the person and the role that he's played in the culture that Arteta has created. I, I have no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, I suppose there is the point that, you know, Tierney was a regular first team player, first choice, a guy who came in and made us better. And I don't think, you know, that's that's ever been quite Rob Holding's role in the squad uh, as a player. No. But, you know, as a character, you know, he's contributed. Um, to you know FA Cup win if you remember in in 2017 that amazing final against Chelsea where uh, I think that was his first season where he Mertesacker and Monreal had that that ginormous 
performance at the back. It was amazing. So I, I like Rob Holding. I can see that it's time for him to move. But I don't think it's fair to, to sort of classify him as just some guy who's around the, the training ground to make everybody happy. That's, uh, that's a really unfair characterization. By the way, you can, you can listen to it uh, on various podcast places or youtube.com forward slash Timsy, T-I-M-B-S-Y. And it's a, it's a really good interview. I think people should go and look. Nice. Uh <laughs> Any more questions immediately jumping out? Uh, yeah, let's do a couple just very quick ones to finish. Uh, Ord on the Discord says, with players doing more on podcasts, YouTube interviews, etc., seeing as we're on this, have you ever considered asking to interview a player? And who would you like to interview and why is it Ben White? <laughs> I mean, it must be Ben White for you, is it? <laughs> I would love to interview Ben White. That'd be amazing. It's challenge. I imagine it's challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To interview myself. I would say so. I would say so, but like part of the challenge would be like to get Ben White to crack, you know? Can you make him laugh? Get yeah. him into it, you know, loosen him up, and then he'll spill all the all the secrets. I mean, Rob Holding's story about Ben White's hamstring is remarkable as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's worth listening to the show for that, actually, I'd say. Like, yeah, that, that gives you some insight yeah. as to the kind of person, kind of player that he is. Um, who would I love to interview? Just looking through the squad. I think I'd, I, I think it is for me. It would be Saka actually. Mm. I think that Saka has a very delicate manner of sort of kind of saying nothing. I think, despite being absolutely beloved, I don't think we can claim to know Bukayo Saka particularly well. Mm. And I think uh, I would love to try and sort of find out who. Bukayo Saka is, you know, yeah. other than just this sort of angel boy who has come to <laughs> save us all. Uh, there is obviously a real young man there. And I think I'm. he's very intelligent. Mm. He's very able to speak about things. I think he seems quite deliberately to kind of eschew that at the moment and yeah. just be focused on the pitch. But at some point in time when he's ready, I think he would be a brilliant interview. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a great choice. Um, I mean, I was thinking of Declan Rice, but like halfway through the interview, Declan Rice would be like, oh, I've learned so much about interviewing yeah. in this interview. <laughs> it's amazing. I've never <laughs> thought about interviews. Since we started this interview, I just learned so much. My mind's blown yeah, every cr day. Crazy. The questions, oh, I never thought about questions like that. I'd I think Martin Odegaard would be a very interesting guy as well. I think that you could have a good conversation with Martin Odegaard about you know, the the technicalities of the game. And I think his role in this Arsenal team as a sort of, you hear the phrase technical leader a lot, don't you? But but he is absolutely that when it comes to Arsenal. And, you know, the way he, he triggers things on the pitch with his movements and his gestures and all that kind of stuff, which are obviously part and parcel of what they do on the training ground every week. I'd love to yeah talk to him about that uh, aspect. And he's, of he's very, from my limited contact with him, he's very comfortable talking about that stuff. You know, you can throw him quite a tactical question, yeah, and he'll give you a detailed answer. Um, he's just very, he's, you know, it won't surprise anyone to hear that he thinks a bit like a coach on the pitch. Mm. Um, as a wild card, I would say, I think Trossard could be quite good value, just from the bits and pieces I see of him. Mm. I think he's got a sense of humour and a self awareness. Um, exceptional English 
In fact, like I think maybe it is in the Rob Holding interview. Does it, is it in that interview? But he mentions that Trossard's kind of like the honorary Englishman. Um, oh yeah. In the, I, I don't know if it's in that. Interview I can't or remember or actually. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but he's kind of like you know in that sort of British group that hang out together. He's sort mm. of the extended part of it. Um, and yeah, he, he strikes me as quite a sharp guy who I yeah. think would be quite good value. All right, final one. Zach Tays on the Discord. With this summer's transfer window coming to a close, who is your favourite memed link we've had down the years? I'm thinking along the lines of Mvia and Nzonzi, etc., etc., players who we've been linked with over and over. I'm old school, yeah, so I would say I maybe Sebastian Frey. All right, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that seemed to happen... I mean, that was sort of my adolescence, really, was Arsenal being linked with Sebastian Frey. Over and over and over. And um, what's the other guy? Trebelsi. Hatem <laughs> Trebelsi, Hatem yeah. Trebelsi, who ended up on the Arsenal team in, in was it Pro Evolution Soccer Pro 2? Pro Evolution Soccer, yeah. They, we had Hatem Trebelsi. We had him. So assumed that that deal was going through. Um, I mean, nothing beats the Summer of the Beast. Baptista. Julio oh, Baptista. Man. That was and something. that's kind of compounded by him turning up and not being especially good <laughs> a year later. I only like to score overhead kicks. Yeah. It's something it's like that. Interesting I don't know. policy to adopt. Um, but there are many. I'm trying to think of modern ones. I mean, I have to be honest, I've sort of slightly marveled at, at, at the links to Kudus this year. They've taken on a slight meme quality for me because... Do you mean that this is, this is something that has been... Um, whatever vague interest there might be or not be, the fan base has developed yeah. it into something that, that feels more real than it actually is. Absolutely, yeah. Like, Arsenal, I think, had the most cursory kind of interest in the players' development, but in no way was that sort of an active transfer consideration this summer. And yet, every time I went on Twitter all the aggregators were talking about kudus, 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 kudus. So mm. that has been quite an odd one uh, in sort of modern times. I mean, I think he's a good player. He's going to West Ham, it looks like. Yeah. We'll see so how we'll he goes in the, in the Premier League. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we had better leave it there. Get this podcast out for you guys uh, on a Friday afternoon. Don't forget, we will have a Fulham preview podcast for you over on Patreon a little later this afternoon. If you're not already a member, you can sign up right now. Patreon.com forward slash arseblog for instant access to that podcast and everything else that we do over there. For now, we'll leave it there. James, thank you very much as always, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.